there are issues, um, they're facing challenges on the island. We'll look at that now. now. And um, as it's written, you know, you and I, we all have experienced church. When I say the word to you, church, some of you have got very positive experiences where you've got you've been born again into a healthy church. Uh, when you've been restored, as Andrea said, she felt that she was restored in some ways. Some of you might have got baggage from church, and others of us have even got certain connotations with church leaders. And uh, it's interesting in the book of Titus, I'm going to touch on some of these things, because in many ways, someone once said that um, what you get saved into is far more important than what you get saved out of. So while it's wonderful that God redeems us, you know, Colossians 1 says that we are saved or we get um, rescued and delivered out of the domain of darkness and brought into the kingdom of His Son whom He loves. And so it's wonderful that we can get, but what are we coming into? And in many ways, the church that we are part of determines your destiny in God. And the leaders we follow, in a sense, if they are following Christ, determines our own spiritual well-being. You actually can't separate those two things. You can't say, well, I'm going to serve Jesus and I'll kind of have a relationship with his body that's kind of, that suits me. That is foreign to the New Testament. And so we're going to look at a bit of um, really focusing on one thing, but we're going to read, um, we're going to look at Titus chapter 1 from verse 5. But before we do, I'm going to look at verse 10. So if we look at Titus chapter 1, it's a, what, what many people love about the book of Titus is that it's short. So it's like, hey, I love Titus, man. It's only three chapters. So I can read the whole little book, the, the whole letter, and I can get a gist of what it's saying. And actually, when he's writing, Paul um, writes to this man, Titus. And let me give you a bit of background, and then I will jump in to what he was saying. So I want to read verse 10. And as we read verse 10, you see that this island was a little bit like... The Cretans were known as um, very... They were difficult people in many ways. And as, you know, I don't know if any of you come from an island or have, have lived on an island for any period of time. I know, like I mentioned, I was born in the Seychelles. And being born in the Seychelles and coming from this place, the, the island of Seychelles is a pleasure-seeking place. People are there not because they want to serve God. They're not there. They're there for pleasure. They're there because it's, it's hedonistic. It's self-centered. It's pleasure-loving. And, um, and many people there, in a sense, have their own issues because they, they battle with a certain kind of, of type of sin and, and you know, certain uh, cultures in the area that they battle with. And in the same way, on this island, there were people that had their own struggles and issues. And in fact, they were called the Cretans or the Cretans. And in many ways, Paul kind of gives this stereotype of what was happening on the island of how there were troublemakers in this place. And people that had even infiltrated the church that were dividing... The churches on the island or the you know where the people of God were meeting and it was there was trouble happening and by the way when you read your New Testament the one thing you find especially when you read your New Testament letters is often Paul wrote the letters because there was trouble in the church and you know if you've been part of local church for any period of time you know that local church equals conflict but somehow God uses conflict in our relationships to make us more like him Someone once said that conflict is the pathway to intimacy. And so Paul often writes in the midst of conflict because then we have to learn how to love one another. You know, it doesn't come easily, right? Do any of you acknowledge that? I know it's not like, oh man, I just love everyone here and I get on so well with everyone. There's always that one person in your community group 
it's like, ah, that's difficult to love. Or there's conflict, or you can have misunderstanding, and that is normal. That happened in the book of Acts. That happened in the heart of when the Holy Spirit is poured out. There's always been challenges because we're still being redeemed into the, into the image of God. And so he writes to them, and he says in verse 10, I'd like this to read it, and these are some of the issues that, that, that they're facing, and it was a bit of a mess. It was a bit of a mess, and he says it in verse 10. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families. Imagine that. Imagine you've got people in your local church that are upsetting entire families. And so this is what's happening here on the island of Crete. By teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Okay, talk about stereotype. Okay? He's making a generalization, obviously, but it's true. That's the culture of the island. And so he describes the situation to them. And, and so this church is really, the people of God are, it's a, it's a growing church, the new Christians, it's immaturity. What do they do? Now let me ask you the question, what would you do if you faced with conflict and fighting and disorder in a local church and in a local family? What do we do? And this is what Paul does, and I want us to look at verse 5. And he gives the answer of what they were to do to bring order into their family. Look, look what he says in verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders into every town as I directed you. And so he says that there's disorder. How do you bring order? You appoint elders. And so in many ways, the way that you deal with, a, with conflict, and this is the same, in, by the way, in a family situation, is that generally if you've got a healthy mom and dad in a home that are doing well, the home is going to have peace. And, and if you've grown up in a home that's full of conflict and tension, chances are that, that either that there was a missing father or a father that didn't take responsibility and didn't know how to lead his family well. And so what he's saying here, he's saying, actually, if you want order, put elders in place. Now, when I say the word elder, what for you comes to mind? Because some of you, when we say the word elder, um, you know, again, in the Afrikaans culture, um, we deal with people who are very much odelung, odelung, you know? And they're the kind of people that are, that are a bit removed, and they're difficult to get along with, and they, I don't know, you know, you kind of avoid those guys. They're not, you wouldn't hang around with them at a braai, right? Because they're, I don't know, it's just, it's just elders, you know? Um, but in our church, how do we deal with elders? And so what I actually want to share on this morning is how do we relate as Christians to elders? That's what I actually want to speak about. Okay, they have let the cat out the bag. How do we relate to elders? And I want to say this, that as we read through the section of what an elder is, in many ways I'm going to apply this to your life as we look at Scripture, because as we'll see now now, that elders set the example for us to follow. But in many ways that our relationship to elders is vital to our own walk with the Lord. You can't separate. It's like a child in a family saying, well, dad, you know, I'm going to just live my own life and sometimes I'll kind of talk to you, you know. No, 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 no. If a child needs to be healthy, they actually have to have the, a, a robust, healthy relationship with, with the head of the home, the father, if, if there's a father in the home. Obviously, if you're a single mom, it works a bit differently. So let's have a look together at these things as we look at. So... 
I want to give you three things this morning. And so I want to say with elders, now when the Bible speaks about elders, and again, I'm not going to, I actually want to bring it about back to Jesus, but in many ways, you know, good leadership is important. And um, I know it's something that we speak about quite a lot in Josh Jen, um, but in many ways, the word elder, like many of our words in the Bible, it comes from a certain place. So the word sin, the word salvation, even the word repentance, uh, forgiveness, all those words, where do they come from? They don't, they're not found in the New Testament. Even the term, the laying on of hands, that is not a term that was invented by charismatic Christians, uh, Pentecostals who decided to like now lay hands on one another because that's a cool thing to do. It came from the Old Testament. And the word elder was rooted in the Old Testament where these were men of wisdom and of authority who had um, leadership in a local community who would then lead in different contexts. And so that's where it comes from. It's a Jewish term. And elders are not consultants. They don't form part of a committee. They're not kind of people that you go to necessarily get advice from. In the Bible, an elder is a shepherd, is a pastor, is someone that actually leads people into the purposes of God. And so the idea is that actually that we are not just to lead ourselves. We are. Obviously, we follow Jesus. But somehow this intricate picture of the New Testament is this beautiful picture of family where I follow Jesus, but as I follow my leaders who follow Jesus. And they're intertwined. It's this dynamic that we can't get away from. And in many ways, if we've got healthy leaders, they bring us into the purposes of God. Um, And unfortunately, friends, we've got this very individualistic culture where we've been taught somehow to distrust those in authority. Or maybe you've even had an experience where you've had a negative experience of people in authority. And this morning, what I'm trusting we will do as a result of this, that the Lord would, if you've got even a question mark over your heart towards elders, for example, even those others in authority, but we're focusing on elders, or you've got a bit of distance in your heart, or there's a shadow in your heart when you think of elders, or maybe even a bit of indifference. Actually, God's heart is that we celebrate and we somehow are able to work under and alongside those that God has put in authority over us in the Lord. And so this is very, very important for our walk and our spiritual um, walk in the Lord. All right, so what I want to do this morning is I want to give you three characteristics um, of what, firstly, an elder is, and I'm really actually going to speak about three characteristics that you and I should walk in, um, as we'll see now now. And the reason is, by the way, is that, again, an elder is to set an example for you and I to follow. So, as we'll see just now. Everyone with me so far? All right, fantastic. You guys are a great group, man. Great, great crowd. <laughs> All right, fantastic. Um, let's look at number one. So let's look at Titus, and we're going to unpack some things. Again, we're going to do, essentially, I'm going to unpack the word, and we're going to have a look at this. So number one is that the first qualification or the characteristic of a leader is someone who's blameless in family life. Blameless in family life. And look what it says here. In verse 5, it says, This is why you remain in Crete to put in order, uh, put it what remain in order, and appoint elders. And in verse 6, he says this If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, then that's one of the qualifications. Now, there's a little term that gets used repeatedly it's this little term, above reproach. Like, what does that mean? It's like, you know, it sounds cool, like, hey, man, are you above reproach? You know, it sounds quite spiritual. What does it mean? And the word actually means to be blameless. And so I think if you have an NIV, the word says that a leader or an elder in the church must be blameless. Now, that's quite a serious word. 
What does that mean, blameless? And it means this idea, not perfect, because no one's perfect. Um, you know, Ross does not glow in the dark. Um, he doesn't go without food for, you know, months on end because he just feasts on the Word of God. Um, he does eat. So, I think... Um, and so the word blameless means to be a person that has no skeletons in their closet. It's someone that carries integrity and that who you see is who they are. And in many ways, it's an example for you and I to follow. Because the question is this, that for you and I as a witness in this world, we are called to be blameless. It's not like the elders alone are called to be blameless. But with your walk in the Lord, you are called to be above reproach. In other words, that no one can point a finger at you and should say, actually, I can accuse you of something that tarnishes your witness in the gospel. Um, now, obviously, we're all under progress and we're under construction. So I think part of living in the light means owning up to things and just walking out those things in our lives. Um, but here we see that, uh, that, a, that a leader in the church is someone who actually is blameless. But in the first area is in their family life in their family life, uh, for us to follow. And in the way that I think, you know, the way we live at home, in many ways, gives great, greater glory to God than we realize. What you do in the dark gives greater glory to God, and in a sense, gives substance to our walk with God much more than we realize, and the way we do that. And obviously, an elder has to do that. I know one of the ways I got discipled was that I, as a young Christian, I got saved into a young church. I come from a Catholic background. And so as a Catholic, um, very traditional background, you know, we went to church, and for me, I had a very traditional understanding of church. And so what happened was, when I was 17, I got born again into this charismatic church full of people that were, we called them happy clappies. Uh, they were very happy, I must say, you know, and they would like, you know, like, they would like have this, this way about them. And, and kind of, I became a happy clappy, and my parents, they thought I had lost my mind. Like, what? You joined the happy clappies? What, you know, you know, and, uh, and yet I got born again and I experienced the life of God. And in the small church in Port Elizabeth, I had a suspicion towards the elders. For me, they were like the priests. You know, they were just, you maybe see them on a Sunday and that was it. And what happened was there was a young girl, um, one of the elders' families lived in the area I lived, um, that I went to university in. And so in the afternoons, I would pop in to visit their daughter because actually I liked their daughter. She was about 17, 18 at the time. And I would go and visit her, and uh, unbeknown to me that her parents were elders, and so I would actually go and end up spending time with them. And the mom would be co cooking in the kitchen. And I remember the one time, just in their family life, that, and again, I thought elders literally would get home. This man was a working man, so he wasn't paid by the church or employed by the church. And the one afternoon, I remember, we were sitting there around the table and just chatting, and I, was, and I actually really enjoyed the mother because she was a very wise woman. And because I hadn't grown up in a Christian home, I didn't know what it was like to be part of a Christian family. I'd never seen it. And so it's one thing, friends, that we can get taught it, but when you see it lived out, that is Discipleship 101. And so I was experiencing this for the first time. You know, I'd heard about it, but now I was seeing it. I was, I was seeing her love for the Lord, and she, I would ask her questions about the Bible, and this wasn't done on a Sunday, on a Wednesday night. This was done around the coffee table. Um, her name was um, yeah, oh, Dita and Connie, Connie Kuzel. And uh, anyway, so he came home the one day. But I was a little bit scared of, of this man, Dita. I was scared of him because he's an elder, you know. And somehow she was more accessible. And so one afternoon he came home. He was a director of a company in Port Elizabeth. And he came home and he walked through the front door. I was like, okay, Dita's home. It's like, I've just seen him on a Sunday. Now what do I do? You know, do I... 
What do I do, you know? <laughs> do I kiss the ring, you know, like the, the priest, you know? What, what do you do, you know? And uh, anyway, he came in, and he was like, hey, and he kissed his kids, and, and he sat down on the couch. I was like, wow, that's normal. I honestly thought he'd go, and I thought he'd gather his family around, and they'd all get down on their knees, and they'd start praying. I didn't know. I had no idea. I didn't grow up in a Christian environment. So what happened was um, he got home, and I remember he plopped down on the couch, and I think it was 5, 5.30, 6 p.m., and the news was about to come on. And I remember he switched the TV on to watch the news. And I remember being so shocked. I was horrified. Part of me was like, what? You've switched the TV on? You know, like, I thought you were an elder, you know? Somehow not realizing that this man is, lives in this world, you know, and he can actually love the Lord through what he does. And actually, over the months that followed... What was helpful is they invited me on picnics with the family and drew me into their lives. And I began to see this family that loved God and this, this couple that loved God, but in a very natural way. They weren't the super spiritual removed from the world. And that's how I got discipled. I saw a man who was blameless in his family life. And that's how I got discipled in many ways through that relationship. And you know, this is the wonder of church families that are you exposing yourself? Are you, you know, being in the homes of leaders in the church and, and, and wise men and women that you can learn from um, and that you can see actually they are the real deal. They might not have it all together. Uh, they might sometimes do things that might surprise you and say, oh, I didn't expect him to say that or do that. But actually they're real people that are under grace, and they're doing their best to follow Jesus. And this is something that Titus says. We'd, again, we're not going to get into all the detail of it, but clearly this is a man, is a man who leads by example in his home life. Um, number two. And so I want to actually on that. It's like, okay, maybe that's a good culture that you have. I know for us in Wellington that we've had to grow that, where people are very good at meetings, but they're not very good at coffee table Christianity, where actually we can get to know one another in our homes. And that's actually one of the strengths of Josh Jen, isn't it? All right, so that's number one. That is the first thing, that they must be blameless in their family life, a very important qualification. Number two, what else must um, elders in the church be? Number two, elders, and so with us, must be blameless in our relationships with others. Blameless in our relationships with others. And so let's look at verse 7 and verse 8 together. It says this, For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. There's a term again. Okay, must be blameless. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. And so what this does is this is an area where he gives virtues and vices. And he gives areas here um, all dealing with personal holiness, with really the personal character of an individual. And what's beautiful about this that, you know, Paul is very, very specific here. He gives five areas that you mustn't be like. And then what he does is gives six areas that you must be like, virtues, of that you should be walking and living in a certain way. And what I love about this as well, it's not saying that therefore, you know, an elder mustn't be a drunkard, but you can get drunk because you're not an elder. Of course not. Or an elder must be self-controlled, but therefore an upright, but you know, you don't have to be because you're not that, so you can kind of live out you want. No, again, an elder is setting an example and these things, when we read this list, by the way, these are not profound. We don't read this and go, oh, who, is, who can do such things? 
This is actually very ordinary, isn't it? I mean, these are things that, as we look now now, that we're all called to do. And simply what an elder does is says, well, they're showing me how to live that way, or they should be at least, in measure and in many parts. And let's look at the, the, quali- the qualifications. And this is the areas that God doesn't want us to be like. And it's interesting that he mentions very clear areas. In other words, God is often specific with our sanctification and our holiness. You know, we say, we love Jesus. Oh, we serve him and we follow him. And, you know, but what does it look like? And what I love about the New Testament is that it actually shows us the kind of man or the kind of woman that if you want to be a man of God or a woman of God, there are certain qualities that actually God would want you to walk in that are almost baseline qualities for our faith. That's not just for the super spiritual, but for you and I today. And let's go through these qualities. These are things that we mustn't be like. Overbearing, quick-tempered. Any of you struggle with your temper? I know I have in the past. Okay? It's like, oh God, you know, quick-tempered. Given to drunkenness. And I know that there's some here who might even struggle with that, where, where you know, it's just like, what does that look like? Number three, violent. Uh, number four, violent. And number five, pursuing dishonest gain of what we mustn't be like. So God is clear on those things. Let's look at the areas that we must be like. Number one, we are all called to be hospitable. And, um, you know, it's interesting, in the Old Testament, one of the qualifications of a rabbi, this is how important hospitality is in the New Testament, that even in the Old Testament, a rabbi or um, a priest had to be someone that says that they had to have four doors to their home. They had to have a door facing the south, facing the north, facing the east and the west. In other words, they had to open their home to strangers and to, to those who would want to come in. And throughout the New Testament, the one thing that gets beaten is that if you want to be a person of love, you've got to be hospitable. You've got to be willing to open up your home. And hopefully the elders are an example of that. Um, so hospitable. Next one, loves what is good. Thirdly, self-controlled. And it's interesting, this term self-controlled, you know, the, the Bible says, um, in fact, it says in chapter 2 that actually there's other groups, because what he does in this section, he gives almost instructions for different groups of people um, on the island. He gives it for elders. Then what he does, he says, okay, but this is how I want older men to act. Then this is how I want younger men to act. This is how I want older women to act. And this is how I want, um, you know, the younger women to act. And he's very clear. And the one thing that comes through repeatedly with various groups is this area of self-control. For example, he says in chapter 2, he says, older men are called to be self-controlled. He mentions about younger men that are also called to be self-controlled. And then he mentions the younger woman, this one thing, be self-controlled. And it's interesting that he mentions it. And I think for us, we live in this very licentious culture where we've been taught, you know, you've got license to live how you want, just as long as it feels good for you. And I think in some ways, they were also dealing with those issues. And yet he says, God says, actually, if you want to follow Jesus... Part of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. You've got to learn how to lead yourself well if you're going to actually follow Jesus uh, and you're going to be a witness into the world. And uh, I love that scripture in 2 Timothy. It says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. You know, and so if you're a person that is, spirit, is a spirit person that loves the Lord and wants to have more of you, over time, this area of self-control should actually characterize our faith. 
And, you know, we all mess up. We all, I know sometimes we fast. I don't know if you ever fast as a congregation or as individuals. I know it's, a, it's an area that is actually lacking in the world and in the church today. Um, we don't fast a lot, but the one thing we do is I know that I've tried to pick up the habit of fasting a bit more because I realize, like, often I'm not very self-controlled, especially with my eating habits. I'm like, oh, God, help me. And sometimes fasting, by doing without, helps us actually to learn how to, get, how to practice self-control. I'm going to share you a story once. I was a school teacher um, for a number of years in a high school in Cape Town, in Milneton, Milneton. Um, And when I was in Milneton, I was fasting the one day. I felt the Lord just say, I need you to fast, and I just want to teach you self-control again. You know, you got to, come on. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. And so I fasted, and normally, you know, I had a very busy day, and I was so hungry. By second break, I was, I was so hungry. It had been a difficult day in all accounts. And um, that day, out of all the days of the year, because it never happened, was that one of the moms brought food to the staff room. But not any food. She bought scones, fresh ones, cheesecake, fresh carrot cake, you know, the one with the, um, the, the cream cheese over it. Uh, I mean, it was just, and I remember walking in, and I was trying to exercise self-control, and I was like, it's not fair. No, it's not fair. And I, I sat down, like, ah, what should I do? And I was like, no, I'm going to eat. You know, ah, and I just ate. I remember just breaking my fast, like, I've had such a tough day, you know, I've got to eat. And I was just like, discomfort food, you know, is this to help me? So, I mean, I don't get it right. I, I mess it up. I, but we're on a journey. I was like, okay, Lord, I'm going to try again. And this time I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it right. God is very gracious with us. And so these are things. Then he mentions self-control. Then he mentions things like upright, holy, and disciplined. Um, and so this is what it looks like for a person who follows Jesus and it looks like for a leader who follows Jesus. And let's look at the third area. Um, the third area in Titus, he says, above reproach in their personal holiness. Um, and then, uh, by the way, it's, as we're talking this morning, sometimes even as I mention these things that Scripture says, maybe the Holy Spirit points his finger on something. You know, you don't have to wait for the end of the service to respond to that. If you feel the Holy Spirit putting his finger on an area of personal holiness in your life, that, ah, Lord, then where you are, you just repent where you are. You just, God, okay, I'm going to adjust. Father, forgive me. Sometimes as simple as that, you know. Um, And as you do, the Lord washes you and he empowers you to obey him in these things. So just a little tip. That wasn't part of my preach. It was just free. (laughs) All right, number three. Let's look at the third one. So number one was be blameless in his family life or or, or your family life, again, because it applies to us. Be blameless in the way that you live, your personal holiness, or in your relationship with others. That's what the implication. And number three, be blameless in in what we believe and how we lead. And again, first for an elder in what he believes and how he leads. And let's look at Titus 1 verse 9. It says, for he must hold firm... Hold firm to the trustworthy word. Don't you love that phrase? That it describes God's word as trustworthy. In other words, we build our lives upon the Bible. And that means that we don't just read it, but we really believe what it says. And as we interpret it rightly and we take its principles for us today, it's like we really believe this stuff. It really is trustworthy. And if you take God at his word He really is trustworthy, and his word is trustworthy too. 
And it says, the trustworthy word is taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and to rebuke those who contradict it. Now, part of the job of an elder is to teach and to give sound instruction or sound doctrine. In other words, to teach in a way that would cause you to follow Jesus and cause you to flourish in your faith. That's what it means. It's, it's a doctrine that has a fruit into holiness. That's what the implication is. And so part of a, a job of a pastor is to teach and preach and to lead that way. But part of a, 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 the job of, of an elder, now this is the part I want to touch on, is it says they must be able to rebuke those who contradict it. And part of the job of an elder is to, another scripture says, an elder has to correct, rebuke, and encourage. And often our pastors are very good at encouraging, most of them, but to be honest, we find it very difficult to receive rebuke or correction. How many of us love rebuke and correction? You know, I loved it when someone, and have we even allowed it into our lives? And, you know, in, um, in the early days of Josh Jen, we used to have a bit of a standing joke. Uh, this is like the year 2000, 2001, is we used to speak, we, we had two, and this is part of the value of the way we built church, is that we would open ourselves up not only to encouragement, but even at times necessarily to correction. And we had two coffee shops in Tableview in Bayside Mall. On the one side of Bayside Mall was, was you're walking to the movies, was Dulce Vita, Dolce Vita. Um, that was the one coffee shop. And the other coffee shop was Mug and Bean. And the joke was, um, is that if, if, if you went out with a leader or an elder and they took you for coffee to Dolce Vita, then that was going to be an encouraging talk. They're probably going to just encourage you and you're going to just have a nice chat and speak about you. And this is going to be wonderful and warm and ooh, nice, you know? It would be that kind of chat. But if you got invited to Mug and Bean, then you're probably... You know, it was probably going to be a hard conversation where you were dealing with something in your life and possibly even that there might be some kind of correction that would come as you invite it. And it became a bit of a joke, like, where are you going, Mug and Bean or Dulce Vita? And it was a joke, but actually what undergirded it was this value that we trust our leaders and we understand that they've been given by God to publicly correct at times, but also privately, one-on-one, to actually allow time for that. And, you know, there's a scripture in Proverbs 9, verse 8 to 9. It says this, because this is the value for us, friends, of actually learning how to receive correction. It says this, Do not rebuke mockers, or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise, and they will love you. Instruct the wise, and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous, and they will add to their learning. The question is this, is that here, well, this is the, the statement, is that actually a sign of wisdom is someone that learns how to receive correction. Not only receives it, but looks for it. That you are actively seeking to grow in your relationship with the Lord, and the way that you do that is not just by encouragement, but, is a, but by allowing men and women to say, well, can you see any blind spots in my life? Is there anything in me that maybe I need to grow in, but that I can't see because I'm too close to the situation? And actually, it's a sign of being a wise man or a wise woman. I know I've had to model this many times in my life, and if I've looked back at my most important times of growth, 
My times of growth have been times when I've had a friend sit down to me or an elder sit down in my life and actually say to me, and I've actually invited it firstly, by the way, I've invited it. I've said, would you come and I want to give you permission to speak into my marriage, to speak into my parenting, because by the way, we live in a culture where, you know, you can speak about me, but don't you speak about my parenting, you know? Like parenting is this holy idol that, like, don't tell me how I should raise my child. And so we would give permission how to speak into us as parents and how to speak into me as an individual. And the times of growth where God has pruned me and grown me the most have often been the most painful times where I've learned how to actually hear what is being said and learn how to say, okay, I'm going to take this, I'm going to pray about it, and I'm going to see, Lord, would you come, and, and if this is true, then I know I need to adjust and I need to grow. Because we are not, let me put it this way, sanctification is a team project. You can't be you and Jesus. It has to be us and Jesus in relationship to one another. And uh, I can think of so many stories, so many examples. I'll share one or two. Um, about two, three years ago, we were, we were leading the congregation in Wellington, in uh, AM. We've handed that over now. I'm not, a, I'm not a lead elder anymore. Anyway, who cares? But <laughs> and I had this role. And we've had the privilege to lead three different churches over the years. We, we planted a church in Oatsorn, led that for six years. Then we took over from Will Murray, and we led the Edgemead Church Church. For six years, we transitioned that into Josh Jen, and then we took over Wellington Congregation, and we led that for a period of time, also six years. We seem to have a, peri- a, a cycle, 666. <laughs> the number of man, you know, maybe we'll get to seven one day. And, um, and I, you know, look, I mean, to be honest, I, I thought, I'm a pretty good leader. I'm, I'm a man of God. You know, I'm, I'm a good leader. I, I know how to lead. I've led in different contexts. We've, we're pretty skillful. But I was doing a study of the book of Proverbs in, in, in my quiet times uh, two years ago. And when I was reading through this aspect and looking at the sign of wisdom is to seek and to be open for correction, I, like the, the Lord said, Mike, have you become lazy and you actually are not actively, and I felt like I wasn't actively doing that anymore. Not just one-on-one, but even with my leaders. And so what we did is we invited Russell Fraser, Russell and Jenny Fraser, into our um, leaders meeting. And I said, Russell, I want you to come and I want you to ask the leaders, how do they think, what is their experience of me? Because I know if I ask them, you know, the Wellington folk are so honoring. They're like, we love you, Mike. You're the best leader in the world. You know, you and Jesus. <clears throat> you know, it's like, I know that they're so honoring that sometimes they wouldn't actually be honest enough to, to tell me the flaws and the areas that they are irritated with me with. And so what we did is we had Russell and Jenny, and, and Russell said, okay, well, stay for better. Then what I'm going to ask you to do is you leave, go home, and I will be with your leaders, and I will ask them, how do they feel? What is their experience of you? And I invited him to do this. Like, come and stab me, basically, you know? You know, we speak about how... Um, you know, the wounds of a friend, you know, and if you love Jesus, sometimes the best thing you can do is let your friend stab you in the front, not stab you at the back, be honest with you and speak the truth in love. And so we went home and then when we went home, I was like, what have I done? You know, like, I'm just exposing myself here, you know, Lord, I know I'm not perfect. I've got a long way to go and I was trying to justify myself and I was like, okay, no, this is, this is in the Lord. So we went home and, you know, I thank God for that evening because 
the feedback that was given to me, there were small things. There weren't big things of like, you know, we hate you and we actually really, because you, you're terrible to follow. But actually, there were little things that actually could have affected my destiny. The one thing, I'm trying to think of what they were. Yeah, um, the one thing was to do that I don't listen well. Um, and I tend actually to t- treat people as projects. And I, I don't actually listen to them. They feel like they're loved. Another thing was that I tended to joke around too much and to be too jokey. Really? Me? <laughs> See, I'm doing it again. And, um, and, and this was helpful for me. And, and I want to ask you, you know, this culture that we have, we can speak about, we look at it in the Word, and we see these examples in the Bible. But even as the job of an elder is to receive correction, and I want to say this, that I'm hoping and I've hoped that you would have freedom, that if you're part of this church, and even if you're a visitor, you would have freedom to go to the elders that if you're upset about something or you disagree with something, that the elders have to be open-handed enough to say, would you be prepared to speak into my life? Which is what a good leader does, is secure. But then as members or as those that are, that if the Lord has added you here, to actually to say, well, would you be prepared to correct me and speak into my life? And to actually invite it, to look for it, to say, please, would you do this? Please, would you stab me in the front, so to speak? Because I want to grow to be more like Jesus. And you know, the best leaders are the ones that restore and they speak, especially one-on-one, with gentleness. In Galatians 6, it speaks about restoring with a spirit of gentleness. And what happens is if a leader rebukes you or corrects you, somehow, although it's often painful, the result of it is that you should feel strangely loved. You should feel, that really hurt, but somehow I feel loved. I feel like they love me, but it hurts. How could this be? You're part of the family of God because the Lord disciplines those that he loves. And I want to ask you that in your hearts, would you give permission to your leaders to sometimes lead you strongly and to say things that might be uncomfortable for you to hear, but it might be what God wants you to hear and for the way the Lord wants to direct you and lead you in your faith. You know, we're not those that are like a prosperity. You get some charismatic churches that the leader says this, wow, don't touch the Lord's anointed, brother or sister. You know, don't you dare touch me. Don't you dare criticize me. We are not that kind of church. If a leader says it, I want to say it's not helpful. But if you say it and you have a culture of honor, that pleases the Lord. Because we're those that honor and we're those that love, we're those who follow, we're those that receive, we're those who give as we do do so in him. And so this morning, these are some things that I want to give you as we look at God's word, as we look at the the portrait of an elder, the portrait of a a father and even a mother in the house and different leaders that come alongside in the household of God. Isn't the household of God wonderful? And don't we love the family of God? And while we love Jesus, God's heart is us to fall in love with the family of God. Isn't it a beautiful thing? When we can be a people that learn how to, how to love one another as he does. And this is how the world will know then that we truly are his disciples when we do these things. And so I'd like to pray for us as we close. And maybe the Lord has put his finger on something in your own heart. Or maybe there's just something that you need to draw and have a resolve within you that 
God would want you to do this morning. Because these truths are for us today. As, as we close in prayer, let's just, let's just bow our heads. Is that fine, Ross? Is that fine? Let's just, let's just spend time just looking to Jesus this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you this morning that you've sent Jesus as the chief shepherd. It says in Peter that you're the chief shepherd and you're the overseer of our souls. We know, Lord, that any human authority is given by God, but we want to recognize today, Lord, that you are the authority. We want to recognize today that we lift up our eyes to you, Lord, that you are such a good leader, that you are such a good overseer, that you came and you poured your blood out for our sins. Lord, we want to acknowledge this morning that we submit to you because we know that you have redeemed us, you've bought us, that, Lord, we are saved by your obedience, we are saved by your work on the cross. And, Lord, the first thing we want to do is we want to look at you this morning. And, Lord, I know that I, I'm con- sometimes concerned with this kind of message. It, it becomes a self-help message. But, Lord, we know that we can only do this because we are in Jesus. We are under the chief shepherd. We, we're following and we're loving you, Lord God. And we want to afresh say, Lord, we love you. We want to say this this morning. We love you. We love you, Lord. We want to confess with our mouth and we want to say with our hearts, Jesus is Lord. We want to say, Lord, this morning that, that we trust you. We want to say that we want to remind ourselves of that scripture. It says that those who put their trust in the Lord will never be put to shame. And this morning, Lord, we thank you that we put our trust in you. We lean on you. We depend on you. We need you, Lord. But, Lord, we also thank you that in, this, in your will, in your summer, your sovereign purposes, you've put us part of a crazy family. Where sometimes the church is one part mystery and one part mess. It's, it's a people that are learning how to get along and how we need one another. And somehow in the wisdom of God that you've given us elders to oversee and to teach and to lead and even correct and rebuke at times and to encourage. And Lord, we want to recognize that. We want to say yes and amen to that. We want to say this morning, thank you for putting us in the family of God. And I want to pray for a couple of groups of people. Just the first group of people that I want to pray for, as we just as we um, looking at him, is is this: is that if you are here this morning and you know that, if you're honest, you're not sure if you have God as your Father, or maybe you are far away from God, you've drifted from Him, and and you know that actually your life is not right with the Lord. You know, and the Bible says that the only way we come to the Father is actually through Jesus. But not just saying, Lord, I, I'm saying a little prayer and, and I want to receive you, but actually it's turning away from your old life and you're actually prepared to turn towards Jesus and to say, Lord, I'm going to surrender to you. I'm going to believe in you, that you really died for my sins, that I am a sinner, but Lord, that I'm going to give up today. I'm going to stop fighting. I'm going to surrender my life to you. And is there anyone like that this morning where you are? You say, I need prayer. I, I want to come and surrender. I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. I want to... I want to follow him. I'm going to, today, I'm going to, I know he's drawing me. And maybe you know God has been drawing you for a while. You know God loves you in spite of you. He loves you anyway. But he needs you to come. Is anyone like that? Would you raise your hand where you are? Anyone that wants to make a commitment to, to saying, Lord, I'm going to start this journey of faith. I want to begin this journey of faith. Or maybe you've fallen away from that journey of faith and you want to you jump in again. 
Anyone like that? Okay. And then I want to pray for, for, for the next group. And um, here it is that this is for us. And maybe for you, it's like there has been in your heart uh, maybe an indifference towards uh, the elders. Or maybe there's been a bit of a shadow or question mark or, a, or you kind of put up with them, you know. It's like, okay, I'm part of the church. I've got to put up with them. But it's like, actually, the Lord asked me to honor them, to obey them, to come under their authority in Jesus. And I want to ask that if you this morning, are you are just saying, Mike, that's me. I, need, I, I just want to respond to the Lord and say, Lord, would you help me to learn how to trust as I trust you? I want to learn how to open up my heart. I want to learn how to be a good follower and pray for my leaders. I want to learn how to honor them. Um, and I know this might be difficult for you, but if that's you, where you are, just would you raise your hand? Say, Mike, that's me. I, wanna, I want you to pray for me. I want to be that man or that woman that learns how to, knows how to give myself in the family of God. Thank you. Thank you. Just, maybe just keep your hand up there. Anyone else? That, or maybe even in you, you felt the Lord say, Actually, maybe there's an indifference in your heart or there's some kind of shadow, just like you put up with them, but you don't actually honor, you don't actually celebrate what the Lord is doing. Let's pray together. Come, let's all stand. Let's pray together. Yeah. So, Lord, we want to commit ourselves to you. I thank you for, Lord, those folk who have responded this morning. Lord, even that raise, I know that there's probably many more of us, Lord, that we're on a journey of knowing how to relate with our leaders well. Um, Lord, this morning, we want to come and commit ourselves to you. And we want to say, would you help us to learn how to honor and work alongside and follow and to be open, Lord, to do this well in Jesus' name. We commit this to you, Lord. I know that this morning, I want to say, I'm not here to kind of entertain you. We're here to give you the word of God. In some ways, this is just a building block. But I do feel like the Holy Spirit wants to come and he wants to touch on things. You know, all it takes sometimes is just a little bit of a question mark. Just a, uh, that's enough, you know, friends, that's enough for the devil to sometimes bring a bit of distance between you And that might sometimes stop fruitfulness in your life. Just bring it to the Lord this morning. Say, Lord, I'm going to bring that to you right now. Lord, I want to trust you enough to trust my leaders. I want to trust you enough that you're a big enough God that I'm going to trust my leaders and I'm going to throw myself behind them into their arms, so to speak. And, and follow them as they follow Christ. Come, O oh Lord. Um, so this week on Monday, Lisa and Rebecca actually sent me a voice note. Um, they were looking at the Weinberg list and looking for someone to pray for, and they sent me a voice note. And it was interesting because I was in Joburg with my husband, who is no longer a Christian, um, and we were staying with people who aren't Christians and um, also staying with, like, the director of his companies. Yeah, these people, have, they're rad, but they're super materialistic. And um, I know with myself, like, I can get very caught up in that. Um, anyway, so when I, the first part of her word, well, like, the prayer was really cool and encouraging and, and nice and whatever. 
And then the second part was really like this weird picture that she had, but it was very interesting because it was like me walking in a street and then I had like a pile of paper or post-its, which I, I'm a, a high school art teacher, so I have lots of post-its. And I was throwing them on like different sides of the road and she was talking about how um, I can't, I'm like walking sort of on the fence or I'm on the fence and I can't kind of keep doing that for that much longer. Anyway, and then she was sort of like not quite sure if this is like about you at work or whether you need to be like bolder in your like about your faith or whatever. And then Rebecca had um, also was saying, you know, the gospels for all parts of our lives. Anyway, so when I initially heard it, I was like, oh, like, <laughs> you know, like part of me was like, I'm not totally, or actually felt like maybe this is kind of relevant because I'm like staying in this context um, with people that aren't Christians and yeah, like, you know, the conversations and everything else. It's like, it's kind of tricky. And it's also my husband's friends and I'm trying to like, anyway, it was, it was, a, it was an interesting week. But essentially, um, yeah, like, the, like last night I was thinking, I've been thinking about this thing the whole week, and then last night I was watching the show, um, and it was so interesting because the, the last part of the show was like, oh, it just kind of made my skin crawl, and like I'd sort of been feeling like maybe I shouldn't watch the show or something. But essentially, like, um, it just, like something happened in this, um, this woman who, anyway, essentially God showed me this is how the enemy comes to steal, rob, and destroy. Like, it takes you, it's like just one little tempting thing, like Ross was saying about sugar. Like, you know, we like sugar, and we eat sugar, and then we crave sugar. Um, and it was so interesting because I know previously, Margot also, like two years ago, had another word for me where I can very easily get caught up, like the worldly thinking, like, really influences the way that I think, and I'm also in education, and like, you know, so a lot of this stuff just, like, really, like, changes how you think. Anyways, so the long and the short of it is, it's very interesting because I actually haven't been in church for two weeks because I was sick, and then we were away in Joburg, and now I'm back, and, and just like being here is a, such a reminder of like the importance of community and the fact that like the enemy is like a prowling lion. He's like looking for someone to devour, and if we're not committed in community, which I, this is a thing for myself, then, you know, and actually like being in each other's homes and all that stuff. Then, um, then we're going to get devoured. And I've been in a place where I have almost been devoured. So um, anyway, so there's that. And then there's also like what you were saying about making oneself open to rebuke is like so important. And I really like thank you, Lisa and Rebecca, for your word. Um, yeah, so I feel like it's, it's a whole lot of things coming together. But the other thing I also wanted to say is someone mentioned like two weeks ago about how the eyes are like the window to the, to the soul and like what we look at and what we're taking in, what we're feeding on is really, it is influencing us. It's influencing our behavior. It's influencing our relationships. We can't just think we can like sort of taste it and it's okay and then we can, you know, whatever. Anyway, so yeah, it's just mine. So there's really something I really want to actually just dial into what, Laura, what Tara said now is Bridget, I mean, sorry, who was it? Lisa and Rebecca spoke into her life. And Margot had said something before. And I think listening to Mike this morning, he spoke a lot about the qualifications of elders and that. But actually, he threw that to us because that is who we actually meant. We all meant to live like that. That's actually the qualifications for a Christian, really. Well, it's not a qualification for a Christian. It's not what makes you, you know what I mean. You don't get to heaven because you live like that. You get to heaven because of grace. But that is how you live. Because the grace transforms you. Okay. So there is something in every single one of us that actually needs to be able not to just become encouraging, but to actually be correcting too. And as Mike was sitting here now, as he was actually ending, I just felt that 
It's quite, quite strongly, actually, to remind us that we are people that not only to encourage, but also actually to correct. Because I have noticed in us, we often, we, we become very gentle and very cushy. As soon as we're confronted with sin, we'll kind of pass the ball and let one of the elders deal with it. And we won't. But actually, we call to. We call to call people out when they sin. When there's sin in the, and I'm not even talking about, I'm not even talking about character things and small little things. I'm talking about sin issues. When there's blatant, obvious sin, we call to, we call to call those things out in each other's lives. Actually, and I want to encourage us to to remember that that's the people that we're meant to be, and in love, in grace, to speak, but not to actually shy away. Not to pass the ball. And yes, as elders, we're here for that, and we do help with that, and we are part of that process as well. But it's not only us that does it. It's also you. So is that okay? Do you guys understand? You give my heart. It's actually I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to elevate all of us to live this life together, to live the, in this family together, correcting, encouraging, and sharpening each other to look more like Jesus. Because at the end of the day, we want to reflect his glory. We want to reflect his glory because there's a world out there that is lost and is broken. You guys are out of that. So yeah, maybe I can just pray for us just as we end off. Oh, Lord, just thank you that you're working things into us as a people, Lord, that you, your desire is that we actually look more like your son and that you have all these different ways and you, you help us to become, to look more like your son. Lord, you've given us to one another to sharpen one another, to speak into each other's lives, to make mistakes together, to bump into each other together, but ultimately to love one another and to find you in this, Lord Jesus. Lord, and I pray, my prayer for us as a people is that our hearts would be open to one another and that out of love, out of love for one another, we would not shrink back in fear, but actually we would speak to one another. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that reflect your glory to the world. That your glory would reside in this house as you build us together as living stones. I pray that we would be a light on a hill, that the darkness would, would, would recede. That those that are out there looking for a family, looking for the light, that they would be drawn in, Lord Jesus. I pray this over us, Lord God, that our hearts would be open to this. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, guys.